lot of people still in our church family who are feeling under the weather and just encourage you all to be praying for one another. And I know many of you have been sick and now you're back with us. So it will be nice to have our whole church family back together again at some point. So we'll pray to that end. So last week we conquered Jericho and the walls came down. Today, now, we are in Psalm 92. We are taking a break for a week from Joshua. We'll be back in Joshua next week. And this is so appropriate because after a great victory like Jericho, it's important to pause and to thank the Lord for the victories that we have in our life. And that's one of the things we're going to see this morning in Psalm 92. I take the role of pastor teacher in teaching God's Word very seriously for many reasons. But one of the main reasons is because I know that one day, as a pastor, I'm going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm going to give an account of my teaching ministry. And if I have taught something to you that is not biblically accurate, then I'm going to be held accountable for that. And I say that because I know down through the years, many times I teach on the priority of the local church, of how we as God's people need to be more faithful to God's house, we need to be more engaged in God's house, we need to be more connected to the local church and be a real part of it. And today, in this day and age, that's just not something that resonates with people very much, even Christians. They don't see the need, if you will, for really being a part of a local church. I believe that when we get to heaven, we will see how much of a priority the local church was to the Lord. And I'm so convinced and confident of that that if I am teaching you wrongly about the primacy and priority of the local church, when we get to heaven, I will be the first one to come up to you and say, I was wrong. I, I overemphasized the local church. But I am so confident and convinced that that's not true. And that's why I want to even share the message of Psalm 92 today. Because if there's a psalm that teaches us about the priority of being part of God's household, and especially how it relates to being part of a community of believers, it would be Psalm 92. Yes, the psalms are the songbook of Israel. And yes, even the heading of this psalm is a song for the Sabbath day or the Lord's day. And we as God's people today do not meet on the Sabbath, but we do meet on the Lord's Day. Ever since the Lord rose from the dead, 
and the church was established in the book of Acts, the churches met on Sunday rather than Saturday. And throughout the history of the church, the church meets at least once a week to come together to worship the Lord. And we are seeing here that that is a priority to God. That God is calling upon His people to come together at least once a week and worship Him. We are not only to go with God through our lives, we are to grow with God, if you will, through our lives. And it's spiritual growth in all of our lives, does not take place in a vacuum. We do not grow in isolation from each other. That's why God called us to be part of a body. And that body of Christ finds its expression in local churches just like this one. And you and I must truly be a part of it in order to benefit from being a part of the church. And we must be very intentional about it, about our involvement with the local church. Otherwise, we will become insensitive to spiritual things, and we will not experience the increase of God that God wants to see in our lives. Again, God not only wants us to go with Him, as we're even seeing in the book of Joshua, I have more for you. I want you all to follow me as a group. That's what the book of Joshua, it's not about individual following the Lord. It's about a group of people, the Israelites, all following the Lord into the promised land. And God has both an individual plan for each of our lives, but he also has a plan for us to be part of something bigger than ourselves, a community of believers that we can be a part of and go with that group together. In order to do that, we've got to make worshiping in the Lord's house a priority of our lives. In fact, I want you to begin, though, with me before we talk back at Psalm 92, verse 1. I want you to see what I believe is the key verse of the entire psalm. And that is verse 13. Notice what this verse says. Planted in the Lord's house, they grow in the courts of our God. Planted in the Lord's house. There's a difference between going to church and being planted in the Lord's house. There's a difference in saying, that's my church. That, that's the church I identify with. If I go to church, that's the one I go with. There's a difference between that and being planted in the Lord's house. Are you planted in the Lord's house? And if it's not the Oasis Church you're planted in, I hope at some point you're planted in some local church. Because apart from being planted in a local church, we will never see the increase that God wants to see in our lives, both individually and corporately. So let's go back to Psalm 92 and 
Look again at the heading. This is a psalm, a song for the Sabbath day or for the Lord's day. And remember, the Sabbath was simply a deliberate pause or an intentional intermission that was built in for the people of God by God. God said, I want you as my people to set aside at least one day a week and I want you to have an intermission in your life. I want you to pause in your life and I want you to use that day to come together as my people and worship me. Now again, we as New Testament Christians do not do that on the Sabbath, Saturday, but we do do it on Sunday, the Lord's Day, because we are celebrating the resurrection of our Lord. And ever since the church started in the book of Acts, for now over 2,000 years, we are part of that legacy. We are to come together as God's people and worship Him. And we will see also that as we come together to worship Him, whatever local church we're planted in, it has to be a local church where the worship of God is God. Where it's about God. Where God is center and central of what we do. We just sang about the heart of worship. It's, it's all about you, God. That's important because there are many local churches that can be filled with worship, but the worship is not God-centered. Where God and the person of God is not what we're focusing on, it's other things. So notice in the first four verses, sort of this intentional movement Godward that the psalmist is encouraging us to be a part of. And he's writing this to those that he hopes have a heart that's open to being planted in the Lord's house. First of all, he says, it is fitting to thank the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Sovereign One. It is fitting to proclaim your loyal love in the morning and your faithfulness during the night. I want to start by looking at the word fitting. It's a... It's a word that has many nuances and many expressions. It means appropriate. It means good. It means beautiful. And here's one, though, that we don't think about very often. It also means needful. See, God is saying, do you realize, my people, that it's good that you worship me? It's appropriate that you worship me. It's beautiful when you worship me. But it's also needful for you to worship me. You need this, God is saying. You need to be part of a local church that is filled with devoted, energetic, enthusiastic worshipers that you can be a part of, planted in the Lord's house together, and you come together and you worship me. That's needful for you. You need that whether you realize it or not. And hopefully we are building a growing group of people who realize, I need to be in the house of the Lord. 
And I need to be there to worship my God. It's good for me. It's appropriate. It's beautiful. I benefit from being part of a local church where I come together at least on a weekly basis consistently and I give thanks to the Lord. I know, again, many of our people are missing because they're not feeling well. And if they were feeling better, they'd be here. And I know that when I miss, even just to step away to take a Wednesday off or a Sunday, I miss being here. And I don't just miss being here and miss being with you. I realize when I'm not here how much I need to be here. How much it helps me to keep my head straight and and keep my perspective and keep my attitude where it needs to be. if, If I miss being in the house of God with God and with his people and worshiping him, I end up after a little bit of time, I would not be in a good place. And yet so many Christians today don't see the need for consistently being in the house of the Lord and worshiping him. So many other things take priority over being planted in the Lord's house. God says, no, no. My people need to know that it's very important to me that they come together and that they worship me. It is fitting. And notice... God says, it's possible to worship me in silence. It's possible to worship me from the heart. But notice when God calls his people together, how expressive he wants us to be. Notice the language here. It is fitting to thank the Lord. This means to worship or acknowledge with extended hands is what the word in the Hebrew means. Then the next phrase, to sing praises. It means to make music in praise of God. Notice the word proclaim in verse 2. That means to publicly declare. And then in verse 3, God's all about instruments. To the accompaniment of the ten-stringed instrument and lyre. To the accompaniment of the meditative tone of the harp. God not only wants the voices of his people to express out loud our worship of him, our praise of him, our gratitude to him. He wants it to be done with instruments as well. And he says, it's fitting. From God's perspective, it's beautiful, it's appropriate, it's good, and it's needful for us to come And be a part of that intentionally. I've got to be intentional about not only my personal private worship of the Lord. I've got to be intentional as a Christian about my corporate worship of the Lord. I've got to make it a priority because it is a priority of God. Notice Just a couple of the things that the people of God can always continuously worship God for. Verse 2, his loyal love. 
his loyal love. From morning to evening, his loyal love. His love never runs out. His love is always there for us, always constant. Nothing will ever separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. We will never be unloved by God. It's constant. And therefore, if you and I have nothing else to come together and worship God for, we can always come together every Sunday, every Wednesday, anytime we're together, and we can always be lifting up our voices and thanking Him for His love for us. For God so loved us that He sent His one and only Son to die on that cross, to sacrifice Himself, so that you could and I could have eternal life through Jesus. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin, John says. His loyal love. And then, verse 2, we can always worship God for his faithfulness for his loyalty, for his dependability, for his reliability. God is always faithful to us. He's never unfaithful. Even when you and I are unfaithful to him, he's always faithful to us. And so those two things alone, we could spend the rest of eternity as God's people worshiping him because of his love and his faithfulness. Now notice, being spiritually intentional rather than being spiritually insensitive results in spiritual increase. I want you to keep that phrase in mind. And if you take notes, I'd encourage you to write that phrase down. Being spiritually intentional rather than being spiritually insensitive results in spiritual increase. The reason I bring that up at this point is because beginning in verse 4, you have a little bit of a, a turn or a transition now in the thought of the psalmist. For notice he says, you, O Lord, have made me happy by your work. Wow. How do I know God is working? How do I sense his work? How, how do I see the hand of God in my life and in other people's lives and in this world and all of that? How do I know that? By being intentional in my worship. The more intentional I am to worship the Lord, the more spiritually sensitive I will be to the working of God. And seeing His work and understanding His work and comprehending His work will literally cheer me up, make me happy. 
Maybe part of the reason why a lot of Christians aren't as happy as we could be is because we're not as sensitive to the working of God around us or in us or through us that we should be because we're not as intentional about our worship. Notice he goes on to say, I will sing for joy because of what you have done. I will be overcome. I will shout for joy and cry out because of what you've done. Then he goes on in verse 5 to say, How great are your works, O Lord. Your plans are very intricate, very deep, and very profound. So notice, he begins this psalm by calling us, if you will, to worship. And saying, God's people, we must make it a priority to come together and worship our God and be very intentional about it because through that intentional worship of God consistently in our life and faithfully in our life, we will not only build our gratitude of God for who He is and what He's done, but we will increase our spiritual sensitivity that only comes through proper worship of God. And as our spiritual sensitivity grows, we will become more in tune with the workings of God, even the very deep plans and thoughts of God that otherwise we will miss. And then you come to verse 6. And this is why I said the phrase that I did, being spiritually intentional rather than being spiritually insensitive results in spiritual increase. Because notice now what the psalmist says in verse 6. The spiritually insensitive do not recognize this. They do not see the deep, profound plans and thoughts of God. They are unaware of the works and workings of God, which can also be fuel for our worship. That's not a good place for God's people to be. It's spiritually insensitive. And can God's people be as spiritually insensitive as even those that do not know God? Absolutely. The Bible is filled with examples of that of people who knew God and who we would consider followers of God or in the New Testament, Christians, born-again believers, but were totally spiritually insensitive to the hand and working of God. Because it comes through our spiritual growth and through intentional worship. That's how you and I remain spiritually sensitive to the moving and working and hand of God in our life and in the life of those around us. Notice at the end of verse 6, the fool does not understand this. When the Bible uses the word fool, it's not to describe someone who lacks intelligence, who does not have the wherewithal or the capacity to be able to comprehend or understand the working of God. It always describes someone who has a heart that is unresponsive to God. It's a heart issue, not a head issue. 
It is someone who refuses to worship the Lord. Someone who refuses to make the house of the Lord a priority. One who refuses to make the worship of the Lord in the house of the Lord a priority. That's one of the reasons why God calls us to intentional worship. So that we won't be spiritually insensitive and unresponsive in our hearts to the Lord. And notice then now he begins to describe the wicked. But when he talks about them, we also need to be aware, again, that we can become just as insensitive and unresponsive to God as those that don't know God if we are not being intentional about the things that we should be. Because notice, he says, when the wicked sprout up like grass and all the evil doers glisten, it is so that they might be annihilated. <coughs> The wicked don't take any thought for eternity. They don't live for eternity. They just live for the here and now. And they think that this is all there is. And so their priorities manifest that. It sort of reminds me of the rich young ruler that Jesus was talking about in the Gospels who said, oh, I'm just going to keep building bigger barns and bigger barns and stuffing them and Jesus said you're a fool don't you know your soul's going to be required of you tonight and who's going to get all this stuff you've not invested in eternal things all you've done is lived for the here and now you're not ordering your life based upon eternal principles and eternal priorities then he says you, O oh Lord, you reign forever. Indeed, look at your enemies, O oh Lord. Indeed, look at how your enemies perish. We get all, even as Christians, bent out of shape over, you know, the evil and the wicked and all that. And God says, they're here for a very short time. They're gone. I, I'm the one that rules over all. And God is even saying, I think that when you and I grow and when we have such intentional worship that it makes it sensitive, it also makes us sensitive to the brevity of life and how short our life is here on earth and so why we want to make the most of it and the best of it while we're here because the wicked don't even take thought for that. They think they're going to be here forever. They never think about anything beyond this life. Which now leads to the final part of the song. And this is really where we get to see the increase, if you will, of our lives for those who delight in the Lord. When you and I, as God's people, delight our lives in God, we will flourish. We will prosper. And it doesn't matter what our circumstances are. 
It's just learning to delight ourselves in the Lord and being part of a body of believers who delight in the Lord, who come together on a weekly basis and sing praises and give thanks and are grateful for who God is and what we have through God. The psalmist says, when you live that way, you're not only going to be spiritually sensitive and you're going to comprehend and understand the workings of God and it's going to even make you more aware of God and and more fuel for worshiping God but you're going to grow like never before both individually and corporately look at the language here beginning in verse 10 you exalt or increase my horn like that of a wild ox the horn of an animal was symbolic of might and strength and dignity. It was a way for the Bible to say, we're strong and we can conquer and we can prevail. And notice it is God who's doing this. You, God, you exalt my horn like that of a wild ox. Then he goes on to say, I am covered by God with fresh oil. Psalm 23, you anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. We just anointed here a few weeks ago. It means to refresh and to reinvigorate. He even says, I glowed and triumph over those who tried to ambush me. And I already hear the defeated cries of the evil foes who attack me because I know that those who attack me will not prosper. In fact, no weapon formed against us will prosper as God's people. Then I love verse 12. This was actually one of the verses outside of those verses in Isaiah that God led me to of why I named this church the Oasis. The godly grow like a palm tree. Flourish. Prosper. Why a palm tree? Speaking of the date palm. Because they flourish and prosper in less than optimal circumstances. They can prosper and flourish in desert environments. And they're one of the strongest trees imaginable. They can bend, bend, bend and not break. So God is saying, my people, I want them to grow like a date palm. I want them to be able to to navigate even when less than optimal circumstances are around them and that they can still flourish and prosper. They don't need to have optimal circumstances in order to grow and prosper and increase. And one thing about the date palm, it is one of the most fruitful trees God ever made. Listen to all these things that are produced from one single date palm tree. They produce dates, sugar, wine, honey, oil, resin, rope, thread, tannin, and dye. All those things can come from one date palm tree. That's fruitful. 
That's productive. God says that's the godly. And that the godly are to grow like a palm tree. Then notice verse 12. They are to grow. They are to enlarge. They are to increase. Also like a cedar in Lebanon. What's a cedar? An evergreen. And you know one of the great characteristics of a cedar is its durability. It's durable. It's strong, just like the date palm. See the picture God is giving here of his people? God is saying, that's the kind of people I, I want to see my people be. Not weak. I want to see my people grow strong. But how does that happen? Does it just happen? Do we just sit back passively and just think one day we're just going to become this really strong date palm or this cedar of Lebanon? No. That's why in the context, notice the very next verse. This happens when you and I are willing to be planted in the Lord's house. Then we will grow in the courts of our God. We will prosper. We will flourish. There is no such thing in the Bible as God's people growing in isolation from one another. There's no such thing in the Bible as God's people growing who are not committed to come together and be a part of a community of believers who are worshiping the Lord in a biblical way and a consistent way. There's no secret shortcuts or formulas to spiritual growth. It is doing what God clearly teaches us to do. And to be willing to be planted and grow God's way. Somehow we think we can circumvent the plans of God. And that we're still going to be okay and we're still going to grow and we're still going to be strong. And God's like, nope. It's got to be my way. We learned that throughout the book of Joshua already. God says, I'll give you victory, but only my way. If God's people would not have marched around the city once a day for six days, and then seven times the seventh day, they would have never achieved victory. Because as crazy as that plan was, that was God's way for victory. And God is simply saying to his people, you want to grow? This is how you do it. This is how you do it. I love this too, especially as I get older. Look at verse 14. They bear fruit even when they are old. See, age, physical age, has nothing to do with flourishing or prospering spiritually. The great thing about being a child of God is that you and I can grow all the way up until the second we see Jesus. 
unlike many other things in the world where there's ceilings that we reach, especially much younger in our lives, we sort of hit walls that for the Christian, I can continue to grow and flourish and prosper all the way through my old age and be productive and be fruitful even in my old age. And even be noticed filled with vitality and have many leaves. This is language of not only being spiritually healthy, but spiritually fruitful, even up to the very end of our physical life on earth. God's saying, it can be this way. But it starts with us being very intentional about being planted in the Lord's house so that we grow in the courts of our God because that's the way God set it up. I grow through you. You grow through me. We grow through each other. We grow as God's people by you exercising your spiritual gifts and talents and abilities and me exercising my spiritual gifts and talents and abilities and we come together and we grow from each other in relationship with each other and we grow as we worship one another, as we worship God together, which is the beautiful picture of Psalm 92. And one of the great byproducts of our increase is that we will remain spiritually sensitive to our God and to the works of God and to the hand of God and even to the deep and profound plans of God that would remain hidden otherwise to us by not having our spiritual sensitivity heightened through worship, through worship. So let me again say these phrase or this, these verses before I close today. Go back with me and follow along as I read the first couple of verses of Psalm 92. It is fitting to thank the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Sovereign One. It is fitting to proclaim your loyal love in the morning and your faithfulness during the night. To the accompaniment of a ten-stringed instrument and lyre, to the accompaniment of the meditative tone of the harp, for you, O Lord, have made me happy by your work. I will sing for joy because of what you have done. Would you stand with me and let's pray. God, I would ask today that our church would be a church that is so eager to worship you. Lord, we, we can't wait to get to church and express our gratitude and our adoration toward you. And that we can't wait to be here with our brothers and sisters in Christ because, Lord, we know that one of the reasons you call us to express our worship out loud 
It's so that we all might be mutually encouraged by the worship and the praise of others who are worshiping you as well. And so, God, I pray as we end our service here with worship, God, we will realize how much we need to worship you. Yes, it's the right thing to do. It's the appropriate thing to do. It is good. But it's also needful for us as your people. We need to worship you, God. Or else we will never experience the increase that you desire for each of us. So, Lord, as we go into this time of worship, would you just take our hearts, God, and move us towards you as we exalt you in our lives and in this place. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.